Would you please turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We just finished the epistle of 2 Peter for our Sunday morning scripture readings. But I want to go back to chapter 1 and uh, I want to read the first 11 verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord, of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and virtue, by which we have been given, which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this, re- for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So here Peter, writing the second letter, is reminding those whom he's writing and to us as Christians the things which God has done for believers. He says that by His divine power, He has granted to us everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then in verse 5, He turns our attention to the believer's own responsibility and his own activity for spiritual growth. And here, if you just stop before you get to verse 5, you think, well, God's done everything. And now I just sit back and enjoy it. But that's never the way it is for the Christian life. Yes, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but there's an occasion for us to be diligent. And we'll look at what He tells us to do, how He tells us where to act. Uh, but the Bible puts these, these two things together. In Philippians, you know that Verse where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. For, he says, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So he tells us to work it out, but he reminds us 
that God is working in us to do those very things that we're working out. Well, I want us to look at what he tells us to to work out. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson said, it's God's divine power which provides the basis and motive for the believers giving diligence in the exercise of grace. Uh, now, God's activity is not a discouragement to our activity, but it's really an incentive and, an, and a strong, powerful encouragement to press on. If he just left it all up to us, we would throw up our hands and say, what's the use? I'm so weak. I'm so frail. I, I give in so easily to my temptations. What's the use? But he says, no, God is giving you everything that you need. You've heard of people living above their means. Uh, that is, they spend more money than they've got. There's also people who live below their means. They have a lot of money, but they never use it. Well, I think as Christians, that's where we fall sometimes. We, we're living below the means that God has given us. Uh, we're, we're living paltry lives spiritually when God shows us that we ought to be living vibrant spiritual lives for God's glory. Well, he tells us what we're to do, and he says we are to add to our faith of these particular virtues. For this reason, he says, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith. And then he gives the list of these virtues. He says, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, and so forth. And I want you to point out that this tells us that we should not have a minimizing mentality, but a maximizing mentality. That is, not to do enough to get by, and that's what a lot of people think. Oh, I want to be a Christian and uh, I'm not too worried about trying to be a, a, a real spiritual Christian. I just want enough to get me into heaven. You've heard of people saying, all I want is a little cabin somewhere on the, uh, somewhere in glory. Just give me a little cabin. I'll be satisfied. But I don't think we would be satisfied. And certainly the Lord would not be satisfied. He died for us that he might make us godly people, make us conformed to his own image. So we should have a, a maximizing mentality to, to be the best Christians that we can, this side of glory. Now, there's no such thing, this side of glory, uh, of perfection in a Christian. We'll never reach perfection, but we ought to be reaching much higher than we do reach. Uh, and then he says in verse 8, uh, if these things are yours and abound... That's what he's telling us he wants us to do, to abound in these things, not just to get enough to get by. I have enough of this. I have enough of that. Oh, I'm not as good as I should be, but I'm better than what I used to be. Uh, well, that's not what we should do. We should be as best as we can be for God's glory and for our own good. Uh, but he begins here with faith, and he assumes that we already have faith. Adding to your faith. Well, you have to have it before you can add to it, right? And he's writing to those who, as he says in the beginning, in the opening verse, <clears throat> to those who have obtained like precious faith with us. If you're a Christian, you are a man or a woman or a boy or a girl of faith. You have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. It is looking to Christ, as we heard this morning uh, about the serpent being raised up and those that looked to the serpent were healed. And that's what we're to do. We are to look to Christ. It's a look, a look of faith, embracing Him, trusting Him, 
and him alone for salvation. Now, that has to be there or or all of these other things are are worthless. Uh, Faith is the basis upon which we're to build. That's the foundation. And if you begin without faith, you're building without a proper foundation. It's the very first stone in the spiritual building. Uh, Donald Guthrie said, these other virtues are unattainable until the first step of faith has been taken. Uh, You could try to live a good life and, and try to be a virtuous person, honest. You can try to be loving and kind and all of that. And some people can do that. But as far as God is concerned, that's nothing. Uh, that's doing it for the wrong reason. It's, it's, it's not looking to Christ alone. It's really looking to yourself, trying to build some, some kind of a building that God will accept. But that's the basis, having that faith. <clears throat> now, people can have moral virtue, self-control, or patience without faith. Uh, many of the Greeks, uh, they, this was what they talked about a lot, having virtuous lives. Uh, so that's not what he's saying, but he's saying to have a truly godly spiritual life that's pleasing in the sight of God, it must begin with faith. Uh, now, also, when you look at these these uh, uh, virtues that he says we're to add, uh, he's not looking at them as, as successive steps to be achieved one at a time. Well, I, I've got faith, now I need to add to my faith virtue. And now that I've got virtue, I can add knowledge. And now that I've got knowledge, I can add self-control. No, these things are, are, are to be sought for and achieved at the same time. Because he says in verse 9, he who lacks these things, any of these things, they are short-sighted uh, even to blindness, he says. So we're to have all of these things. If we believe in Christ alone, faith alone saves, but we believe that faith that's all alone without anything following it is not true saving faith. As the Reformers taught, faith alone saves, but the faith alone that saves is never alone, but it's always accompanied by good works. Well, now, let's just uh, take a survey of these, these things that he's add tells us to add to our faith. And the first one is virtue. Now, I know I've called all of these things virtues, but this first one is actually identified as that. And, and that's a, <clears throat> a general term. Uh, it, it means moral goodness or, or excellence. And this ought to be uh, pursued by Christians that we want to have a, a morally excellent behavior. Peter says in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. You, you're concerned about your testimony to others. You want to reflect Christ. Uh, and, and if you're living a, a life uh, of immorality, well, that's not a good reflection on Christ or you, but mostly you're concerned about how it reflects upon the Lord Jesus Christ. John Brown said, energy manifesting itself in the active performance of duty and bravely meeting the trial of the Christian life. That's what Peter is talking about here. This virtue, this courage, as Maurice Roberts uh, put it, he said, it's the idea of, of manliness or courage. 
And certainly we need that in the Christian light. A courageous Christian, whether you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, you need to be courageous. Paul says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And that's the idea of, of this virtue that you're adding to your faith. You see, it takes courage and fortitude to live the Christian life. The Christian life is not for babies. I, I've, I've heard this growing up and I've come to realize it now as I'm getting old. They say, you know, old age is not for babies. <laughs> you, you have to be courageous to grow old because of the things you have to deal with in your life and so forth and the heartaches you've seen and the bodily aches and pains uh, that uh, old age is not for for uh, babies. <laughs> it's something that we need to press forward. Well, that's true of the Christian life as well. Being a Christian takes courage. Matthew Henry said, A cowardly Christian who's afraid to profess the doctrine or practice the duties of the gospel must expect that Christ will be ashamed of him another day. Let not your hearts fail you in the evil day, the Bible says, but show yourselves valiant in standing against all opposition and resisting every enemy, world, flesh, and devil. Yes, and death too. Uh, Matthew and he says, we have need of virtue while we live and it will be of excellent use when we come to die. You want to live the Christian life. Live as a Christian should live and to die as a Christian should die. Deathbeds uh, have seen all kinds of people crying and, and moaning and groaning because they're facing death with an uncertainty. But a Christian should face death with courage. And so it's something that will aid us in that as well. So this is certainly something we need to add to our faith. We need to be courageous Christians. But then he also says to add to your uh, virtue, knowledge. If ever there's a time to exhort the Christian to add knowledge... It's in our own present day. Uh, not only do many seem to believe that ignorance is bliss when it comes to Christianity, it's almost looked upon as a virtue in itself. That is ignorance. Uh, they, they speak demeaningly of knowledge and of, of learning or uh, don't give me doctrine, they say. Just give me Jesus. And it's reflected in so many Christians and in churches uh, they're, uh, as J.I. Packer said, they're a mile wide and a half an inch deep when it comes to understanding and knowledge. Uh, but the Bible tells us that we're to add to our faith virtue and virtue knowledge. Now, what kind of knowledge is he referring to? Well, John Brown in his commentary said it would extend to all kinds of knowledge within the Christian's reach which can be turned to account in the way of improving his own character and gaining the great ends of his Christian calling in reference to the glory of God and the good of the church and the world and so forth. A Christian, he says, should be an intelligent, a knowing, a wise man. Now, I believe that that's a good point that he makes, that it's not just learning just religious knowledge, but all kinds of knowledge. Because in truth, all truth is God's truth. But I would... Uh, agree with that, but I, I believe Peter is speaking specifically and distinctly of Christian knowledge. That is, knowledge of the things of God, of, of God Himself. 
learning more about him, what he's like, his nature, his attributes, his, his ways and his works. The Bible says they're studied by all those who love him. Uh, it's a knowledge of sound doctrine. It, it's a knowledge of the world and, and ourselves. But we get this knowledge from the scriptures and from the scriptures, scriptures alone. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may, what? Grow thereby. We, we need God's word to help us to grow. He exhorts uh, the believers at the end of his epistle here to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. We're to be growing Christians, mentally growing, learning Learning more about God, more about His grace, more about His ways, more about His commandments. We, we should have this desire to grow in our knowledge. Now, of course, knowledge can be all head knowledge and do us little or no good. It can even be uh, something that hinders us. Uh, but true knowledge, no matter how much you have, if it's, if it's accompanied with humility... And with practicality, it's a good knowledge, something that we are humble about and yet something we also uh, we, we can put into practice. It's not just something to discuss around a, a campfire and uh, with other Christians of the same mentality. Uh, but no, it's something that we learn so that we can grow, so that we can apply the knowledge that we have. But Christians should want to grow. In this, you should want to expand our knowledge, reading good Christian books that are expounding the scriptures in some way or another. They're telling what the telling us, uh, showing us, and explaining to us what the scriptures themselves are teaching. But you also need to read the scriptures themselves for yourselves, and don't just take everybody else's word for it. You need to read it like the Bereans. They were commended, they were more noble than those of Thessalonica, in that they searched the Scriptures to see whether these things were so. And so Christians need to be growing in knowledge. How do we grow in knowledge? Well, we do it by our own personal reading of the Scriptures and of good Christian books. We do it by coming to church. Church is a place where we grow. We grow in knowledge. Uh, we grow in, in learning the Scriptures as they're expounded to us. That's one of the great means that God has given. We do it by speaking to one another and talking to one another about the things of God. And so that knowledge can grow. But then he also says we're to add to that, to knowledge, we're to add in verse 6, self-control. Now, in Peter's day especially, uh, that had a, pr a particular reference to the sport world. It still does in our day, but in that day with the Greek sports and all, uh, that was something that they prized very much, that, that self-control. Uh, Paul uses this illustration in, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.25. He notes this, that everyone who competes for the prize that is in the, the games, the sporting games, is temperate, or he exercises self-control. That's what that means, to be temperate in all things, in everything in his life. He, he's temperate 
He makes sure he gets to bed on time. He watches what he eats. He, he does everything he can so that he can compete well in the games. And so Paul, taking their example, he says this. He said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so when we think about self-control, we look at even our bodily appetites. Uh, our sexual appetites, uh, drinking or, or food and so forth, we need to exercise self-control. Now, Peter says that we've been delivered from the corruption that's in the world through lust. This lusting after these things. And we need to be careful. We need to exercise self-control. And again, it's not just something to have a virtue of self-control. Uh, I remember hearing about a man who would uh, a very strong fundamentalist preacher uh, who thought he was exercising self-control because he would take a, a piece of cake, a uh, chocolate cake that he loved so much, and he would just put it on the table in front of him and sit there and look at it and and just feel like he's doing something because he's exercising self-control. And, and uh, well, that can be a, a just a, a, it could be no more than a pharisaical pride. That you're just, you can do this. You can say no. You can say no to this and no to that. But there are a lot of other things we need to be careful about. We need to watch our tongues and our, our tempers. And somebody says, well, I, I just can't control my tongue or my temper. Well, that's why Bible tells us you need to have self-control. Now, can you do this all in, of yourself? No. That's why we go to the Scriptures and He tells us God has given us everything pertaining to life and to godliness, including self-control. He tells us what we're to do. He warns us not to be looking at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. I can't control my mood. Well, you can control your mood. You just don't want to. I remember Jay Adams, he was talking about this. Somebody's, you know, they're mad and they're angry and they're and might even you use them some foul language. And the phone rings. And they pick it up and they go, hello. <laughs> no yelling anymore. Because they can control it. They can stop it. They just don't want to. And I think that's the first thing we need to do is just admit we just don't want to. But we need to confess that as a sin and ask God to forgive us and to help us. For our fears, we can overcome with fear. We need to have self-control. Now, a person can have great self-control over one or more of these and yet have little or no self-control in others. And other areas. And so we need to be careful that we don't just cite one thing and we think we've achieved it. We need to have all of these things. Self-control in every area of our life. Now again, we'll never attain perfection in this life. But the idea is to be pushing forward. Don't just say, I'm good enough. Or I've done enough. Or I, I, I can't get any further past this. I can't get any further past this particular area in my life. No, we need to keep fighting. The Christian life is a fight. Is that something we just give up and move on or settle in? We need to always be fighting over these things and, and seeking by God's grace and His strength to have self-control. And then he says we're to add to that perseverance. To self-control, add perseverance. Um, and that's the idea of having a stick to and that's one thing that is absolutely necessary in the Christian life. We believe in the doctrine 
of the perseverance of the saints, that they will persevere to the end. That means you keep going. Uh, general definition, it means to persist in a state or an enterprise or an undertaking in spite of counter-influences, opposition, or discouragement. Uh, the opposite is to give up, just to quit or to fall away. And a lot of people will start the Christian life that way. They'll, they'll start out very good and looks like they're doing great. And then some trial comes along and I'm done. And they just stop. Uh, that's, that's what the opposite of perseverance. Perseverance means to keep going even when you face the difficulties and troubles and so forth. Uh, Peter talks about various things that will happen. He talks about the false teachers that will come along trying to pull you away. Uh, Jesus called them uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. Beware of them, He said. Well, we need to beware. We need to have knowledge. Uh, we, we need to persevere. We don't follow those teachings. We need to consistently and continuously press on in the Christian light. Martin Lloyd-Jones said there's no point in making great professions and great promises if we don't carry them out. What we need to cultivate is patient endurance, not a sudden stepping out and then becoming discouraged and falling back and the Christian faith into disgrace in the sight of the world. We need to keep pressing on. And then he says, adding to that uh, perseverance, we add godliness. Godliness has reference to our, our immediately to our duty towards God. Simon Kistemacher, in his commentary on Second Peter, said, A Christian practices godliness when he is fully conscious of God's presence in every circumstance, so that his life is guided by the motto of the Genevan reformer John Calvin, Coram Dio. That is, I do everything in the presence of God. That's what the Bible refers to as the fear of God. When you do everything in His presence, and we're to add to our faith this living our lives in the presence of God. And then the last two things he mentions here, and I'll have to stop, is, is uh, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, he says, love. Now, brotherly kindness, that, that has a special reference to other Christians, uh, our fellow Christians. It's a brotherly love. As Christians, we are brothers and sisters to one another. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says in one place, we're to do good to all men, but especially to the household of faith. That is, to your fellow Christians. He says this in, in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, giving preference to one another. Uh, that's how we should act towards one another. He says, add that to your faith. See, your faith isn't just about you and God. A lot of people think that. My, my faith is in God and it really just has to do with me and God. No, it doesn't have to just do with you and God. It also has to do with you and your fellow believers. Matthew Henry said that this is a tender affection to all fellow Christians who are children of the same Father, Servants of the same master, members of the same family, travelers to the same country, heirs of the same inheritance, and therefore are to be loved with a pure heart fervently, with a love of complacency as those who are peculiarly near and dear to us. 
in whom we take particular delight. You see, unbelievers can't understand this. You know, why do you hang out with these people? Why do you hang out with these Christians? Yeah, they, they don't seem to be as fun as, as the world is. Uh, but they don't understand what draws us to one another. We have a like precious faith. And that unites us. We are united to Christ and to one another. And so this causes an affection. As Hopeful said when he gave his, uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, when he gave an account of his conversion, he said that this, his heart was overflowing with love to the name, the people, and the ways of God. The people of God. My heart was overflowing towards them. Before I became a Christian, I didn't want to be around Christians. I would avoid them, literally avoid them. I've told you about, I had an apartment, had Christians living on each side, and I'd get ready to, to go out the door, and I'd look at, oh, he's out, he's out there doing something to his car or something. I would go and sit back on the couch and wait till he was gone, because I just didn't want to be around him. Well, he wanted to tell me about Jesus, and I didn't want to hear it. But even otherwise, I just didn't want to be around him. But as soon as I became a Christian, they became my best friends. And not only they did, but I wanted to find other Christians. Because we have this natural love, but we're to, to grow in that love. And if you find that love waning, you need to stir it up. Stir one another up to love and to good works. John Brown said, The whole precept may be fairly rendered, cherish and display to each other the tenderest affection as being connected by the closest relations. He said this condemns apathy. Apathy means I don't care. You found yourself not caring about Christians? You're not growing in grace. You're not growing as you ought to be growing. He said it requires the tide of holy affection from a purified heart to flow forth spontaneously, copiously, steadily, perseveringly toward all Christians and especially towards those brethren with whom we stand in relation of fellow church members. And we should love all Christians, but especially those that are right here and near and dear to us. But then he says we're also to add love. Um, and here he's talking about not just loving Christians, but we're to love even our enemies. That's what we're to add to our faith, a true love for our enemies. And that's by doing good to them, helping them. It's an act of love, a practical love. Matthew Henry said, He who loves his neighbor as himself will be desirous of the welfare of his neighbor's body, goods, and good name as of his own. <clears throat> Someone said that we need to start seeing the soul in every man. Look at them, men. You, you might not like them. You, you see how they are. But remember, they have a soul that can never die. And so we need to love our neighbors. And we need to talk to them about Christ and tell them the good news of salvation. Well, that's as far as we can get tonight on this. Maybe I'll come back uh, next Sunday and, and talk some more about this. But uh, just remember, you're a Christian. You're to add these things to your faith. This isn't an option. It's not if you want to be the, the super spiritual Christian in the church. This is directed towards every Christian. And maybe you're a new Christian. And, and you say, boy, uh, that's a long list of things we need to do. It is. And with men, it's impossible. 
But that's why he tells us that God has done everything for us already. We need to just begin to take full advantage of it and add to our faith these things because he's given us what we need through the scriptures, through the means of grace, through the church, through his Holy Spirit. He's given us everything we need. So don't be discouraged like this is too much. No, God wants you to be the best Christian you can be. And you and I should want to be the best Christians we can be this side of glory. We'll not be perfect, but we can aim towards that. Forget what's behind. Press on to that goal of that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for this passage that reminds us to stir ourselves up and to be diligent in the Christian life. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for coasting along and, and thinking that we can live on, on past mercies and past attainments. Oh Lord, may we press on in the Christian life, persevere to the end, and, and honor Your name in everything we do. May that be our goal, to glorify You and to enjoy You forever. In Jesus' name, amen.